So here's the question I want to ask. How can you responsibly be joyful in a world that is this screwed up? You know, of course, there, there are, there's a form of religion that tries to be joyful by ignoring how screwed up the world is. A kind of Pollyanna sort of Christianity where you just could have plugged your ears and go, la, 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 the world is wonderful. And, and you just focus on how Jesus blesses you and how you've got so many nice things. And, and, and you know, we, we just... The world, you see the world through sort of rose cutter glasses. And I'm, I, you know, okay, that's a shallow way of trying to be joyful in a miserable world. But how do you responsibly be joyful in a miserable world? Where you're aware of the pain of the world, where you let yourself be affected by the pain of the world. How can you be joyful? The world's really screwed up, you guys. Have you noticed? Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a painful world. You know, you just... What's going on in Palestine and Israel and Northern Ireland and Iraq, for goodness sake, and, and, and the, the hunger in the world and, and, and the, the civil wars in the world and the kidnappings in the world, that's in the paper these days. And There's just so much that there is in the world to be miserable about. How can you be joyful? Doesn't it, doesn't it seem wrong even, perhaps, immoral, perhaps, to be joyful in a world that's this miserable? And I believe that there's a lot of us who maybe don't consciously think this thought, but, but there is a sort of gnawing depression because of our awareness of the pain of the world. That's why a lot of people just try to push it out. For others, there's a, there's a sort of gnawing guilt that's there because you're not doing enough. There's always so much more to do. And so there's this kind of gnawing guilt, gnawing depression that is there, and it sucks joy out of our life. So if the answer isn't just to pretend like the world's a wonderful place, what is the answer? How do you have joy in a miserable world like that? For some of us, it's an especially in intense issue because we've had microchips that have been installed, uh, teachings, uh, memories that have been installed that systematically condition us to, look at, to think about the pain of the world whenever we're enjoying something. I know I'm not the only one in this room who had something like this happen to you when you were a kid. You're eating supper. Uh, you've had your full of food. You don't want to eat those peas that are left over. And it's at this point that your mother gives you a speech about the starving kids in Africa. Yeah, see, you, did you have that? Or for some, it was Taiwan. For some, it was uh, you know, Bangladesh or Calcutta or, or Russia. Or, you know, it didn't matter because as a kid, you don't know any place anyways. There's just, all you know is there's starving kids out there and now it's your fault. <laughs> and somehow, they're going to be less starving if you eat those potatoes. I never got that point either. I one time suggested we pack it up and send it to him, and I learned quickly that was not the right thing to say. I, I didn't get the point. Little footnote, little footnote, parents, never associate guilt with food, okay? We, just, we, we, just, we have way too many eating issues in our culture. Uh, you know, kids can eat, uh, feel guilty about eating too much or feel guilty about eating too little, and, and it's just not a good, okay, end of that footnote. What happens is that you associate your eating with, with the starving people of the world, and, and now whenever you're eating, you're going to think about the people who can eat. Or, or for some of us, it happened with, in other ways. My stepmother, and I've shared this before, uh, had this knack for, you know, she just had a thing going through the depression that, that, that it was wrong to get presents, and so uh, whenever we got a present, she kind of guilted us out for getting it, and she's the one who gave it to us. Man, that screws you up. I, I shared uh, a little while ago about this symbol that I got when I was 12 years old. It was a great symbol, a symbol for my drum set that I bought on my own, by the way. And now they were going to give me this nice symbol, and I was so excited. And as soon as I opened it, it was at that point that my stepmother said, you know, there are some people who don't have houses, there are some kids who don't have shoes, some people can't eat today, but you really needed that symbol, didn't you? It's like, Merry Christmas, Mom! I'm really going to enjoy this symbol now. 
I said, well, do you want it back? And she says, oh, my, your, your dad would never let that happen. Okay, so the message that gets through is this. If ever I'm enjoying something, I need to, I need to make myself feel miserable by thinking about the people who don't have it. See, which means, because if I, if I actually enjoy it, well, then I'm guilty. So the way to not feel guilty and still have it is to make myself miserable for having it. And while maybe uh, we didn't, most of us didn't get that kind of intense programming like I got, I think that mindset is rather pervasive. Then I become a Christian, and I carry that microchip with me into my Christianity. So I get saved, and I, I've got the joy of the Lord, and I've got salvation and all this other, uh, other stuff, but immediately I'm thinking about all the people who don't have it. And that's not a bad thought. I mean, we need to be aware of that. But if you walk around with that in your head, it's going to do weird stuff to you. I can't enjoy being saved because there are other people who don't have this. And in the, te- the church that I was in, it was taught that uh, they're all your responsibility if you don't tell them. I mean, their salvation hangs on whether you will bother to tell them, uh, and there may be only one chance to do it. So I'm walking downtown St. Paul, and I'm, I, every person I'm past, I'm thinking that maybe was their one chance for salvation, and I didn't tell them. Oh, there was another person. I didn't tell him. And so I start telling everybody. You know, uh, I become the single most obnoxious evangelist on the planet. I, I, I lost all my friends in high school. It was, it was so bad. I was a popular kid before I became a Christian, and then I become Mr. Obnoxious, Mr. Bible Pounder, you know. You need to believe in the Lord. That's why I don't go back to my class reunions. I'm embarrassed. I feel like I should apologize for becoming a Christian. I'm really sorry about that idea. You know, uh, I went knocking on doors. Not that anyone ever got saved, but that actually wasn't part of the point. I was just releasing guilt. You know, it's, it's kind of the way the Jehovah Witnesses witness. They're not doing it out of the joy of what they found. They're just trying to, you know, relieve some guilt in their life. I used to have nightmares about seeing these people on the judgment day saying, why didn't you tell me you were too busy watching a football game and instead of out evangelizing? I would have listened, but now I'm going to hell and you're going to heaven and this isn't fair. And I go, I know, and I'm supposed to go and enjoy myself. Uh, it, it does a number to your mind. So you can never really enjoy what God's given to you. I know I'm not alone. I was down in Colorado a little bit ago. See, the, the, the principle here is this. When, when, when you are burdened uh, with something that you're not, when, when you're burdened with more than you can do, it takes away the joy of what you're supposed to do. When you bite off more than you can chew, when you take on burdens that are not yours to take on, uh, it takes the joy away from doing the burden that God's given you to do. Uh, Katie uh, is down in Colorado. I, was, I did a retreat down there a couple weeks ago at a college. Boulder, Colorado, and um, she was a miserable person. I mean, you look at her and you can see she's miserable. A nice, uh, you know, good-looking, smart college kid, but the kind of person that as soon as you look at them, you want to avoid them because they have this super intense look on their face. Like, you're not very much fun, are you? And uh, she wasn't very much fun. And after one of the talks, Katie came up to me with a question, and I forget what the initial question is, but it came out at, at one point that she was angry at this whole college group that I was talking to, which seemed to me to be pretty on fire for God, but she was just so discouraged because none of them really care about the lost. Whenever you take on burdens that aren't yours to take on, you will become judgmental of others who don't take them on, and you'll eventually become cynical. That's why I've struggled, my main uh, fight in life has been struggling with cynicism. Because I have a tendency to, to assume as my responsibility things that aren't my responsibility. That's where Katie was at. These Christians don't really care about the lost. And uh, you probe a little further and you find out that this is a girl who lives in perpetual misery, a real joy corker in her life, perpetual guilt, because she feels responsible for everybody on her campus. 
Boulder, Colorado, she tells me, uh, and the, the, the University of, of, of Colorado in Boulder uh, is full of the New Age movement. There's all sorts of relativism, relativism that's going on, false philosophy, liberalism, and things of this sort. And in every class that she's in, the professor, when they start talking about something that's untrue, she just feels this need to stand up and protect the students from these lies. And sometimes she does. Will stand up and say that, that the professor's, you know, a liar, <laughs> which isn't good for your grade at all, I don't imagine. But... Uh, <laughs> She does this. I mean, I, I understand her compulsion. I was right there with her. And I said, Katie, tell me, well, when you think about it, since I know every emotion is a response to what's going on in our head. I said, uh, Katie, what do you see in your mind when you think about the, your, your campus? Just tell me what comes to your mind. And, and, and what she got was, she pictured all the students in the central square of the campus, and she was looking at them from like uh, up on a uh, stairs looking down on them, and they were all looking at her with this kind of forlorn look in, in their eyes saying, won't you help us? Won't you tell me? And she was feeling responsible for all of them. There's something like 50,000 people on this campus. She's feeling responsible for all of them. And of course, it's overwhelming her. The same way it overwhelms us when we think of all the problems of the world at one time, or all the lost people, or all the hungry people, or all the homeless people in the world all at one time. It overwhelms you. It guilts you out. It makes you miserable. It will eventually lead you to be judgmental and eventually cynical, and that's exactly where she was at. So I explained to her my story, and I said, Katie, you got to understand, you got a good heart. You really have a good heart. But, but uh, I think what you intend for good, the enemy's using against you for evil because he's trying to make you think that you're the Savior, but you're not. Now, there is a Savior, and you're not him. You can't handle this. You can't handle walking around with that reality in your head. It will drive you into the ground. And she began to cry at this point because she knew it was driving her in the ground. So we had a time of prayer where we are going to reframe this whole thing. And, and the way we did it was this. I had her take a snapshot of all those students in the market square. This is the kind of stuff you do in your brain when you want to reframe stuff. We've got to reframe the pictures. Take a snapshot of, of, of that campus and all those students. And then hold that photograph. And then we invited Jesus into this picture and she gave the photograph to Jesus. She said, I can't handle this, it's yours. And Jesus said to her, thank you, Katie. I'm glad you acknowledge that now. Uh, I, I am the Savior, you're not. I am God, you're not. I created these people, I love these people, I died for these people, and they're my responsibility, not yours. Now, I am going to give you the joy of partnering with me on, on maybe impacting one or two of them. But you focus on those. Let me take care of the campus as a whole. And so he gave Katie back, in, in her mind now, a photograph of one of these uh, students. And it was her roommate. And, uh, and Jesus said, in, in this prayer time that we're having together, Jesus said, now your job, here's your roommate. Take on the burden of loving her. Don't take on the burden of saving her. You can't save anybody. Don't take on the burden of fixing her. You can't fix anybody. You just take on the burden of loving her, praying for her, serving for her, getting into her life, becoming her friend, and I'll use that to do whatever can be done in her life. And you focus on that. You leave the rest to me. And there was a tremendous release in her life. Uh, a, a burden was lifted and a joy uh, began to come about because she was now being a human being rather than trying to be God. When, you, when, you have, when you're burdened with things you cannot do, it sucks the joy out of the things that you can and are supposed to do. God calls us to do some things, but we can't do all things. 
I have to, to survive in this world. I, I don't know whether it was my mom or my dad or, or what, but I, I have always uh, been plagued with maybe, or maybe it's a blessing, I don't know, but uh, aware of like, like global pain. I just pain everywhere. I just noticed that. My dad was like that. And, and that's why, that's why I, I'm sort of obsessed with the problem of evil and reconciling a belief in God with the nightmare stuff that's going on in this world. But I, I, I can, I, if I'm not careful, I find that starting to pollute my mind. It's just, it starts to, to drive me into the ground. And there's times where I just got to have, a, have, a, have it out with God, where I say, God, you know, I, I, I'm sorry about the world. I, I, I feel bad about the hunger. I feel bad about the homeless. I feel bad about the, the, the religious pompousness that's doing so much destruction and, and the hatred and the racism and the bigotry and, and the economic problems and the homeless and, and the earthquakes and the kidnapped kids and Satan and all the rest. But it, I'm, it's not my fault. It's not my fault, like, like there's any question about that. But it's not my fault. And the things that are my fault, you, you, you forgive me for it. And i got to stand on that. But i got to give you the world right now. I give you the world. I, this is your world. This is your creation. Uh, you know, this is your plan. you got to take responsibility for it. Your shoulders are bigger than mine. I'm going to believe that you're going to win, but you're going to have to pull that one off because I don't right now see how. I'm going to give it all to you. I release it to you. Now you give back to me what I need to, to think about because I can't think about that. I can't deal with the whole issue. And, and, and there is, when I do that, this uncorking of joy in what the few things that the Lord tells me to do. I can't save everybody, neither can you. In fact, I can't save anybody, neither can you. But, but, but uh, if we're open to it, the Lord will lead us to have a few people that we're supposed to impact with prayer and with love and with service. And, and maybe through that, the Lord will save some people and we'll have joy in it if we focus on what we're supposed to do rather than the billion things that we can do. Amen? I can't, I can't uh, rescue every teenager in, in the Twin Cities. I'd like to, but I can't do it. I'm not God. I'm not the Creator. I'm not the Savior. But maybe if we, we join together and pool our resources together, we can make a big impact on a couple of hundred or maybe a couple thousand a year, and we'll have joy in doing that because we're not trying to do everything. I wish I could help every Vietnamese in Cambodia, but I can't. But if we join together, we can, we can positively impact a couple hundred or a couple thousand a year. Amen? Can't do everything. Don't try to do everything. You'll have joy in what you're supposed to do if you focus on that and give the rest to God. Uh, we can't on our own make the world a fair place, a just place, a holy place. But if we walk with him and responsibly, sacrificially give to uh, the causes that he, he brings us to give, he, he puts on our minds, then there's a joy in that. The key is knowing that you're not God. Abandon the Savior complex. It's a bad gig. It corks joy. We also need to abandon the payback complex. And here's what I mean by that. Christmas is coming on us. So I'll use another Christmas analogy. Some of you know that you're going to get some presents this year that are not free because there's strings attached to them. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, you know, they're the kind of presents where there's expectations in response uh, or that are expected in response. Um, you know, my, my grandmother used to give us these, the, as little kids, the worst present to get is clothes. And she always got us clothes. <laughs> oh, thanks for the jeans. You know, of course, we were coached ahead of time. Really thank her. Thank you so much for the jeans. The best jeans in the entire world. What's the next present? Uh, and she'd always leave the price tag on. <laughs> you know, it, it, do you have people who do that? Just so you know, it costs me a lot. Uh, you know, yes, yeah, so, you know, I don't have much, but you kids are so important to me that I sacrifice for you. 
Uh, you know, there's little, the, 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 the job is that we're supposed to make her feel really, really thankful for it. And then sometimes she'd throw in a couple other things like, it'd be nice to be helped around the house a little more and things like that. You know, there's, there's a deal being made. We make them all the time. Some of you are going to put out that china that you haven't used for a whole year, but because mom's coming over and she needs to feel appreciated because she got it for you last year, you're going to put it out. That's sort of the quid pro quo arrangement. Make sure you wear the flannel shirt that grandma bought you last year because otherwise you're going to hurt her feelings and we got to bring off the suitcases in some conversation. Uh, you know, we got to make sure we bring them up because just to let them know that we couldn't have done it without them. And it was so, and the bigger the, 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 bigger the, the present, the, the, the tighter the strings usually. I've known a few married, young married couples who uh, have had significant problems because they were so blessed by in-laws. And this is a message both to couples and to in-laws. Listen up. Uh, you know, where the in-laws uh, graciously, wonderfully, kindly, and with good intentions uh, make the down payment on their first house. That's a wonderful thing. But see, the fine print says, therefore we have unlimited rights to come over whenever we want. <laughs> Uh, you know, these show up at seven. But after all, we did help you buy this house, and uh, I'm, we're sure that you appreciate that. And oh, what a nice house it is. Let's enjoy it together. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's not. <laughs> uh, you see, there, there's, do, you, do you ever get presents like that? And it's like, okay, you know, what's the payback on this thing? You know, they, they buy you the new car, which of course means you're going to drive the five hours to visit them more frequently. You see, when, when that happens, uh, the gift stops really being a gift. It may be a good deal. Maybe it's worth it, you know, to, to make the payment that you got to make on this whole thing. But, uh, but it's not really a gift. In fact, really, a lot of Christmas is not about gifts. It, it, it's about trading. Isn't that what we're doing? We're trading. Uh, I give you a present. You're, you're supposed to give me a present. And, and the, the key is to try to get equal presents. You know, don't you hate that when you bought them a $5 one and they give you a $50 one? It's like, oh, I don't. See, that just shows you that it, gifts are supposed to be free and, and, and uh, at least usually spontaneous uh, and without any sort of payback in return. Now, I like Christmas. Don't get me wrong. It's a cultural thing, but, but it's not, uh, to, a lot, to a large degree, it's about, it's about a quid pro quo kind of a, a deal. Uh, there's things that are expected back. People often give gifts to leverage, to buy leverage on your behavior. Now the problem is this. A lot of people, and I, I mean a lot of people, think that God is like this, and it's a real joy corker. We, we, uh, in fact, it's very pervasive. In fact, when I tell you what the problem is, a lot of you are going to say, well, what's wrong with that? Because you're so used to thinking it. The, the understanding is something like this. Okay, God gives us salvation. Here, here's the salvation. It's free, he tells us. We always give gifts saying that they're free. But you've got to read the fine print. You've got to know the, the, the strings that are attached, okay? The things that are said sideways. God gives you the gift of salvation, uh, but of course it has implications which are something like this. It means that you will show how much you appreciate the gift by living for him. And if you don't live for him, then the gift's called off. Okay, they, they, of course it means that you'll obey him, and if you don't, and then that means the gift is called off. It, it's a conditional gift. It's like grandmother giving you the vase, and if you, don't, if you don't put the vase out enough, then she'll take it back. Okay, now, it, there's, there's kind of a quid pro quo deal that's going on there. It sounds pretty normal, but really what it is is I call it credit card Christianity. It looks like this thing was for free, but really it was purchased on a credit card. When you buy things, this is what's demonic about credit cards. When you buy things with credit cards, they feel free, but you gotta, don't they? It's like, oh, that's why it's so easy to use credit cards. But you spend the rest of your life paying that thing off. 
So also, God gives us the salvation, but now it's payback time, and the rest of your life is spent paying it off. Now, it's a good deal for sure, but it's not really free. It's, it, it, you're paying it off. If you, if you stop making payments on it, it gets revoked. Now, here's why this is a joy corker. How many of you have joy in paying off a credit card? Now, maybe you are glad you made the purchase, but there's no joy in that, you see? There maybe is, a, 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 you consider yourself fortunate, but there's no joy in that. How many of you have joy on putting on the flannel shirt uh, to make sure grandma stays happy? How many of you have joy having people over when you'd rather not have them over, but you kind of have to because they help make the down payment on your house? There's no joy in that. There may, it maybe is an okay sort of uh, I, you know, quid pro quo arrangement, but, but there's not like an excitement that is there. The, the bottom line is this. What it creates is sort of a miserable Christianity and a minimalist Christianity. Here's what I mean by that. By miserable Christianity, I mean this. The people who are living in a, the, a payback mindset, like, oh, after all Jesus did for me, I need to do this, who are living that way, they feel like they're making tremendous sacrifices because uh, it doesn't come out of the joy of their own being. Uh, it it, it kind of leads to this sort of miserable spirituality where people actually think it's sort of godly to be miserable. Uh, you know, they... Um, well, it's kind of like, you know, the, the uh, mindset that says, after, uh, after all Jesus has done for me, this is the least I can do. I, I will give my offering, look everybody, my offering because... It's the least I can do, my $10, and, you know, he's done so much for me. I've given up on the worldly pleasures... I've turned from them, oh, rats, because, uh, because of all he's done for me. And, and it's kind of this, boy, you know, I, I just count the cost. and I'm willing to do it for Jesus. <laughs> willing to do it, yes, because he's done so much, the least I can do back for him. You see, you feel every ounce of the, the sacrifice you make. Uh, and the, the, the irony is this. The people who make those sacrifices usually don't make very big sacrifices. How many of you pay more than the minimum back on your credit card? You see, you do the minimal amount to get rid of the guilt or the shame uh, that is on you. And once that's done, well, then you stop giving, okay? It's, it's a minimalist Christianity that feels like you're giving a lot because you'd rather not be giving it. It doesn't come out of the joy of your inner being. It's a minimalist uh, Christianity. It's a miserable Christianity because joy, guilt, the payback mindset is not a good motivator. People think it is, like we got to guilt people out and then they'll do more stuff. You can get a little bit of mileage out of that, but you can't transform a life by throwing a lot of guilt at people and a lot of shame at people and, you know, after all he's done, don't you, isn't this the least you can do kind of thing. That's not a good motivator. And what's amazing is that the church keeps on relying on it. Classic case of this. Uh, back in, uh, uh, about five years ago, some of you heard this study that came out. Divorce rate in the Bible Belt is 10% higher than the national average. Did you hear that? Among Christians. The people on the planet that are most likely to get divorced are Christians in the Bible Belt. 10% higher than the national average, and our national average is the worst on the planet. In some places, it was higher than 10%. In Oklahoma, it was 13% higher, 60, 62% divorce rate among Christians going to church in the Bible Belt. Now, why is that? Uh, and what should we do about it? Well, there's a lot of thinking that went on, and uh, one newsletter came out uh, through the internet. Uh, I got it. It went to all the pastors of America, so far as I can see. It was put out by some family focus forum folly. I, 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 was some, some, I, I don't know what it was, but it said this. 
this is an outrage, what a bad testimony this is, this is a slam on the church, you know, and, and, and we need to, here's the solution, we need to crack down on divorce, that's right, we got to tell people what a sin this is, how bad this is, how evil this is, how vile this is, how wrong this is, how God hates this, it's destroying society, uh, the fault of the world you know, is because people get divorced. And it was just about how we need to crank it up on, on the sinometer, on the guiltometer, on the shameometer when it comes to divorce. Now, see, the thing is that that feels righteous. I mean, who can argue with that? Oh, yes, it's sin, and we should we, we got to crack down on this. Feels righteous and so easy, and especially if you're not divorced, it feels good. It's like okay, we're we're, we're taking a stand. I, but see, here's the thing. Okay, think about this. Think, think about this now. The people in the church are getting divorced at a 10% rate higher than those who are not in the church. Now, the people in the church, however much they're hearing about marriage and divorce, they're hearing about it more than the people who aren't in the church. So what makes you think that talking about it more with a little bit more shame and doing it with more frequency and a little more guilt is actually going to help the situation? Think about this. What you're doing isn't working. I mean, maybe I'll ask these people, hey, how do you keep your marriages together? <laughs> Instead of getting this self-righteous thing. Here's an idea. I'm not the brightest guy on the planet, but I got an idea. If uh, people are getting divorced a lot, why not put some energy into helping people make wise decisions about who they marry? I mean, I don't know this for sure, and, and uh, if you're from the South, don't get mad at me because I don't mean to stereotype things, but, but, but maybe if people are thinking that their hormones are Jesus talking to them, telling them to marry somebody, they could use some help by, by saying, you know, let's look at some practical things. Uh, you know, is, are you compatible with this person? Let's look at some common, de-spiritualize the marriage process. That actually might help. You see, that's one of the reasons... I was going to say, that's one of the reasons why we have a family service, but the, 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 our family counseling service is not there to despiritualize the marriage process. It's just to, to help people make wise decisions. You see, that might help. Here's another one. If people are getting out of marriages, maybe it's because they don't like being married, so why don't we put a lot of energy into helping people like being married? Why go after the people who have already fallen from it? Why not make marriages more joyful, you know, and, and emphasize that? Uh, the, the, the bottom line is this, you can, you can feel righteous about and harp on and get real big on the guilt thing and, and all of that, uh, and, and it won't do a whole lot of good. It might, might curb things here and there a little bit, but it's not going to transform people. What changes behavior is when there's a joy that is at the center of their being, that motivates them, that makes them want to do something different. A person's only changed when that happens. The Bible says this in Romans 6. Here's how to get rid of this payback complex. Romans chapter 6 says, For the wages of sin is death. You earn, sin, you earn the consequences of sin. You've got to work at that one. Uh, the consequences of sin is death. But the free gift, everyone say free gift. Free gift. But the free gift, everyone say free gift. free gift. The free gift of God is eternal life. It's free and it's a gift. And when you get this, there's going to be a release of joy that will change your behavior more than any guiltometer ever could. Now, I, I, fortunately, you have a pastor who, who has got a PhD and knows Greek. So I'll tell you what the word free means. It means free. <laughs> Aren't you just so blessed to have me as your pastor? I'm like really smart. It's free. The word means free. It means that, that, that you don't deserve it, it doesn't, you don't earn it, you don't merit it, you don't achieve it, you don't accomplish it. Accomplish it. It's given to you free and it's given to you as a gift. It means that there's no strings attached to it, there's no qualifications attached to it, there's no behavior man manipulation uh, attached to it, there's no leverage, behavior leverage attached to it, uh, you know, th there's no sideways talk attached to it, there's no fine print attached to it, it's free. Totally free. Uncompromisingly free. 
unabashedly free, uh, unwaveringly free, outrageously joyfully free, stupendously free, <laughs> no strings attached, free. This is why it's called the good news. It's, it's the good news because it's free. It's not the credit card news. It's not the let's make a deal news. It's not the quid pro quo news. It's not what can I get from you in return kind of news. It's good news. It's great news. It's stupendous news. It's fantastic news because it's news about freedom. God gives you the gift of eternal life for free. It's free and it's a gift and it's yours. Amen. And he... See, he's not looking to, to, to the, 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 the motive isn't to control or to, to get something out of you in return. It's because he loves you. He's crazy about you. He's madly in love with you. He's, he's the shepherd looking for the lost sheep. He's the, the father of the prodigal son chasing after the prodigal son. He, he's the, 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 the groom who's looking for the bride. He's madly in love with you. And he just wants to give you this gift for free. Now, here's the thing. Some, some here who are just used to doing things from the shame-o-meter, the payback mindset, are thinking, uh-oh, people are going to sin crazy when you tell them this. You know, they're, 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 okay, you just gave them license, so I guess it doesn't matter if we sin, that grace may abound. And I understand, see, that, that Paul had to confront that assumption three times in his epistles. But see, if you're thinking that way, it's because you've only been used to the motivation of the shame-o-meter. This represents a shame meter if you're wondering why I'm doing that. See, the shame meter You're wondering, why does he keep doing that? Uh, it's a shame meter the, the guilt-ometer. Guilt, come on, we've got to up the guilt, and then we'll get control of people's behavior. You see, here's the thing. When, when, when the free gift comes into your life, there's joy. Uh, and uh, when that joy comes into your life, it changes you. It changes you. Not always instantaneously, but it changes you like the, the shame-o-meter, the guilt-o-meter can never change you. It revolutionizes your, your being. When you, when you experience that you have been given eternal life for free, there is released in you a spirit that wants to give freely. And now you're beginning to live life out of free. I, I, out of this freedom that comes to you. When, when, when a person gets that joy in their soul, it begins to change their life, change their motivation. And now they're strong. The joy of the Lord is our strength. There's a strength to do what God wills because there's a joy in doing what God wills. I, I, I don't any longer do anything out of, out of a, a payback mindset. Think about it. You're paying back the cross. Uh, do you think you can do that? That's why, you can, that's why it never feels like you do enough. It's an infinite debt. You, you're gonna, I'm paying back Jesus. I'm, you can't do that. Uh, give up on it. He, he, he did it because you can't do it on your own. And therefore, just receive it as a free gift. And when you get that free gift of life, you get that joy. And when you get that joy, it begins to change your being. I don't, do any, I don't live for God because of any kind of fear or of any kind of guilt or of any kind of uh, gain, uh, shame in my life or of any kind of payback mindset in my life. I don't give to the church, support the church, or make any other sacrifice in my life because there's some guilt or there's some shame or there's some condemnation or some fear in my life. I do it out of joy. I do it out of joy. I've freely gotten life, and I've learned the principle that, that joy in life is found in, in replicating that. It's joy. It is a joy to, to help somebody get a home that doesn't have a home. That is joy. It's not a, oh, I'm doing it for Jesus. I've always done it for me. You're kidding? This is a blast. It's, a, it's, 
it's joy to be part of something where people get saved. That's joy. It's joy to make sacrifices, to pool our resources together, to see people come to the Lord. That's joy. It's joy to see people get healed. It's joy to, to support a counseling center where people can get their minds kind of put on right and get congruity with God and, and families get uh, uh, the issues worked out. That's, that's joy. It's joy to invest time. It's joy to invest prayer. It's joy to invest resources to see the kingdom of God go forward. I get a, it's a blast to be part of something that's going over there in Cambodia. Man, I praise God for that. It's joy to be part of the dwelling place. To get this home for, for uh, uh, battered women, man, that, that, that's joy. The joy of the Lord comes in loving people. The joy of the Lord comes in serving people. And you do it not because there's this, oh, it's the least I can do. No, it's, it, it's joy. Find, find the joy of receiving the gift for free. Trouble is, a lot of us have never gotten anything really for free. There's always been an if, and, but, string, fine print, quid pro quo, credit card deal attached to it. You got to know that God is not at all like that. When God says, I give you the free gift, it's the free gift. Take that free gift, and it, it revolutionizes your life. Two joy corkers we've talked about. The Savior complex, you can't save the world. God will give you a slice of the world to deal with, to pray about, to serve. Do that, and you'll have joy doing it. Uh, don't try to do more than that. Secondly, get rid of the payback complex. He loves you for free. He saves you for free. He redeems you for free. And when you get that, there's a joy that will revolutionize your being in a way that the guilt meter never could. And now you do it for joy. Uh, show me a person who's learned how to live out of joy, and I'll show you a strong person. A person who gives out of joy will outgive the person who's trying to get rid of the shame meter any day of the week. A person who's learned how to love out of joy is going to love far more than a person who's loving to try to pay back a debt they owe. A person who uh, shares their faith out of joy is going to be far more effective at sharing their faith than somebody who's doing it out of an obligation to pay back a credit card. Living out of joy is your strength. It's revolutionary. It changes everything you're about. Will you close your eyes and pray? Is there anybody here this morning, I want to end just with this, this very quickly. Anybody here this morning, you've never accepted that free gift. Now, you see, here's the thing. You've got to accept a gift for the gift to be a gift. Uh, anyone who gives you a gift this season, if you say no to it, well, that's not about the gift, it's about you. You need to receive this. You need to say yes to this. And I'm wondering, is there anybody here who wants to say yes to this? Now, what you're doing is you're inviting eternal life into your life. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to turn your life upside down but it will give you joy in the process. If so if there's anybody here this morning who has never done that, never made that personal decision, would you raise your hand very high? And we're just going to pray for you uh, before this service ends. Anybody here at all? Over there, there's a hand. There's a couple of hands. Wonderful. You need the gift of eternal life. It's called the gift of eternal life over there. Thank you, ma'am. Because you don't have eternal life without it. In the back, there's a couple of hands. I'm not saying your life's going to be rosy. It won't be but you, you can have a joy that pervades your being, whatever else happens. Over there, wonderful. Oh, ma'am, I see that hand. Wonderful. You're saying, I need that gift of eternal life. I need that joy. There's a dozen or so people. Last night we had seven people that received Christ. There's about five or six here that have done it this morning. Anybody else? It gives me joy just to do this. Anybody else? Anybody else? Just raise your hand really quickly. Wonderful. Okay, we're, those who raised your hand and maybe someone who didn't, uh, but you're thinking about it, pray this prayer with us. It's a very simple prayer. It just starts the process. And when we're done, I want to ask you, 
after we lead you in this prayer, to come forward over to my right, your left, there's a table and there'll be a lady over there who will love to explain to you uh, kind of what this eternal life is all about. How do you live out this gift? I I really implore you to do that. But pray this prayer from the depths of your heart uh, with us here this morning. Heavenly Father, you are Lord. You are God. And I confess that I have not lived for you. I don't deserve your love, but I thank you that you love me anyways. I thank you that Jesus Christ died for my sin to give me the free gift of eternal life. And I accept that gift right now. Forgive me, Lord. Live in me, Lord. Give me that life and joy to transform me from this day on. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's great. It's great. It's great. It's great. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. God's a joyful God, but nowhere does the Bible speak about him as more joyful than when someone comes to him. All the angels in heaven rejoice. Praise God. Father, I pray for those who just prayed that prayer. I pray you'd seal that prayer in their heart, Lord God. Seal that commitment and bring them forward. And as we go out of here, I pray, Lord God, that the joy of the Lord would be our strength in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you want to come forward for any prayer, the prayer team will come up here. We'll be glad to spend some time with you. So feel free to come forward. God bless you guys. We love you.